Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Brian Flores on February 1 filed a landmark lawsuit against the NFL and three specific teams, the Broncos, the Giants, and the Dolphins, alleging racial discrimination in the hiring the compensation and the retention of blackhead coaches. There has been some talk that maybe others would be joining him. Under the scheduling order that was crafted by the court presiding over the action, Flores will file an amended complaint on April 8th. I am told, Chris, that the amended complaint will include two new plaintiffs, two new teams with allegations of wrongful failure to hire on the basis of race, with allegations directed at the owners of the two new teams uh, that will be more than just the -the run-of-the-mill stuff, that there'll be something there that creates some headlines. Now, that's all I know. That's all I know for now. But come April 8, we'll know, if not sooner, who the new plaintiffs are, who the new teams are, and we'll get a sense of how much more complicated this is all going to be for the NFL. But, you know, when Flores did it, the first thought was, well, who else is going to join him? Well, nobody else is going to do it. Nobody else is going to do it. Well, two more are ready to do it, and we're going to find out who they are soon enough. I, I know. It, it, it gives us, you know, more credibility is what it's going to do. You know, not that I didn't think it was credible from Brian Flores because he's a no-nonsense, no-BS guy. I could tell you that from being around him in my life. Where This is real, but we all looked at it a little bit. I think everybody has, oh, he's disgruntled. He feels like he's been cheated. You know, this is a renegade-type move. Oh, my gosh, he might be hurt you know, with future jobs in the NFL. Well, good job by Pittsburgh and Mike Tomlin, making sure he's not, you know, standing out there by himself. They hire him, all right, so get him a part of that. But now you add these two people. I mean, then the NFL, we know they had a problem on their hand, but this is going to become more of a problem. You're, you're looking at a, you know, potential firestorm here. Uh, again, you're going to have two other coaches. I would expect them, of course, to be African-American, and they're going to give more instances of, you know, little insights about what's going on behind the curtains in the NFL organizations, and that's not a good look for the NFL. And, of course, then they're going to portray some feelings and some thoughts they have, 
you know, certainly felt like have been directed that way because they are looked at as the minority candidate. So the NFL has got a problem on their hand, and this certainly is not going to help it with two more, two more people joining on with Flores. And this problem has been hiding in plain sight for years. It was nearly 20 years ago that the NFL, under the threat of litigation, this very litigation, not this one specifically, but this type of litigation, created the Rooney Rule to avoid the litigation. They knew they had a problem. The hiring practices, the raw numbers are so stark that the only reasonable conclusion is there's some sort of bias baked into the process. Not that you've got a bunch of Archie Bunkers sitting around in their their easy chairs spouting off racist nonsense. There's just at some level a preference, at some level a bias, at some level an inclination to hire a white coach. As I said when Brian Flores sued, if you flip a coin 500 times and it comes up heads 490 times, there's a problem with the coin. Now, everything else is details, and there will be plenty of details. We have already heard some of the specific allegations involving the Broncos, involving the Giants, the claim that supposedly lit this fuse for Brian Flores, the idea that he got the accidental text message from Bill Belichick congratulating him on getting the Giants job, and it turns out he got the wrong Brian in his phone. Yeah, Belichick was asked about it today at the league meetings. They do a little press conference, breakfast-type thing. It's kind of awkward because like, people are trying to eat, and you want to ask me questions. Let me eat first. But Belichick uh, says he can't comment on it, which is really all he can say. I, can't, I mean, he, he's not inclined to talk anyway. He's definitely not going to talk about a pending legal issue. He's not going to tell you now, John, he, he woke up from a nap, but he couldn't see the phone clearly and couldn't figure out right. what Brian it was. <laughs> now, John Mara said yesterday that there's no way Bill Belichick would have had advanced knowledge as to, as to who they were going to hire, but it's Bill Belichick. I mean, if anybody's going to know, it's him, right? A hundred percent. With the Giants and, and everything there, yes. I mean, Bill, Bill Belichick's the godfather of the NFL, for one. And he's certainly, you know, deep-rooted in the, the, the history of the New York Giants. And there is a relationship there between the Maras and Belichick. We know that. Uh, and th- there was a lot of rumors, you know, a few years back. And I think you even heard of them. We talked about them not too long ago where, you know, if, if there was one place Belichick would ever leave the Patriots for, it was the Giants. You know, we know there was some communication between the Giants when the Joe Judge hire went down there. I don't know how far or how in-depth it was, but I know there was some communication there for sure. So this is would not be shocking for me to know. And, of course, yes, it's two former coaches of Bill Belichick. I would think the Maras and the Giants had called Belichick to ask about both guys a little bit and get a feel to where I would think Bill would have knowledge about who was going to be hired there and the Giants kind of passing that by him to – you know, hear his last little uh, knowledge or two cents about that situation. So uh, I, I totally would expect him to have that knowledge. I would have. It really doesn't take much for there to be one person in the Giants organization to give Bill Belichick a heads up. Definitely what not. They're planning to do, right. and they can say, "Well, we didn't even interview." Look, they know what these teams know what they're going to do before they do it when it comes to these things. They don't, they don't engage in a pristine process of gathering information and then only after it's all completed do they commence the process of knowing which way they're going to go. I mean, they Joe Shane, really, the new GM, exactly. came from Buffalo there with Brian go. Dable. I right. remember there was at one point, at one point, John Mayer was saying, 
Well, they issued a statement or it was something like, well, we would never do that without actually moving. Your new GM worked with him. I mean, it's, this isn't like a blind date. He already worked with yes. him for crying out right. loud. Right, you're, you're right. This is the route they wanted to go. They had a preconceived plan and, yes, probably knew a little bit about Joe Shane. And then, of course, knew about Brian Dayball and went, wait, this is the – we'd like to go down this road and we'll go down it as long as, you know, Shane doesn't really mess up the interview or Dayball doesn't totally, you know, pee down his pants during our interview to where, okay. So, you're right. Most of these teams have a good feel or at least have it narrowed down to a very few – a short list of guys, one or two candidates to go, uh, we've done our due diligence at the end of the year, talk to people, all that. We kind of know it's one of these two guys, coaches, one of these two guys, GMs, and okay, any way it goes from there is good. So, yes, they do have a preconceived notion like you've talked about, and I would have a hard time thinking Belichick wouldn't have a good clue about what the Giants were going to do directly from the Mara family, directly from John, I would think, really. And John Merritt was asked yesterday whether he's inclined to settle the case. Again, the Giants specifically sued by Flores for not hiring him, for hiring Brian Dayball instead. What Merritt said is not settling it because the allegations are false. We're very comfortable with our hiring process. It was a fair process, and we ended up making the decision that we made based on a lot of factors, none of which had to do with race. And that last part really struck a chord with me because, Chris, I handled cases like this when I was practicing law. No one ever admits that no. the decision that's being challenged had anything to do with the protected characteristic. It didn't have anything to do with race. It didn't have anything to do with gender. It didn't have anything to do with religion. It didn't have anything to do with the fact that he made complaints to OSHA about unsafe working conditions. It didn't have anything to do with the fact that he filed a workers' comp claim that cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars and we right. think that it wasn't real. You know, they, they're never going to admit that. That's what makes these cases so difficult because what do you need? You need circumstantial evidence to otherwise prove that what they're saying isn't 100% truthful. And in this case, you got the facts, you got the history, you got the hiring practices of the NFL. That's why, you know, this case has been waiting to be filed. It's been begging it has to been. be filed. No one was willing to trade in their career for it. And that's why I'm encouraged by, because at the end of the day, I just want justice to be done. I'm encouraged by the fact that more coaches are willing to advance what they believe are legitimate claims because if every black head coach who's been passed over for a head coaching job that he was qualified to have would join this, you can't retaliate against all of them. You can't keep all of them from becoming head coaches at some point in the future. If it's just one, well, well, it's not really a fit here. We did a fair process, but we've decided to go in a different direction. They just passed the buck around until Brian Flores is old enough to retire. But if you got two, five, 10, yeah. 15, however many, right. it becomes impossible to play that game with all of them. So there's strength Agreed. in numbers in yeah. that regard. Not just makes the claims more credible, it insulates all of them against the possibility that they're all going to be blackballed by the NFL. Yeah, and strength in numbers, like you said, and as long as it's not like, you know, you know, fantasized, or, or like there's real tangible things there. And again, right. I, I don't think it's going to look at the, nobody's going to look at these, these, you know, African-American coaches or anything like that. I, I don't think they're, they're going to be hurt by it ultimately too. I think that the rest of the coaching fraternity is going to pick them up to a degree a little bit and realize you know, white coaches as, as well and go, there's some things here that are messed up. This is real. 
Like, it's real. We're not going to, like, you know, blackball this coach because he got on a lawsuit uh, and not hire him even though we need a great, you know, offensive coordinator or DB coach or whatever. I I don't think that's going to happen. I think this is real. Uh, To your point, I think there's very many people that realize that. The NFL's recognize that. The white coaches in the NFL recognize that. And also, too, you know, just to piggyback a little bit with what we were talking about, the Maras, and you said it earlier, too. I don't think these owners are looking at it going, like, I don't want to hire the black guy. I think, you know, to what you said earlier, the NFL is just so deep-rooted in its whiteness, especially in the front office and the coaching. And it's third and fourth generation family members in there. And there's just a lot of connections there. And to me, that is one of the biggest issues, too. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong or whatever. I'm just saying that's the reality of the situation. And I think that's what you know, ultimately hurts a lot of African-American coaches, too. They don't have the guy, the liaison, to get in the owner's ear to go, hey, I know this guy. I know what he's all about. I knew his dad. I knew his granddaddy. He works like this. He does that. And that's the advantage so many of these white coaches have right now. And that's where it's unfair, at least in my opinion, to a degree. For a lot of the older white owners, too, it's not about being uncomfortable with the black candidate. It's being more comfortable. Hey, that's right, Mike. That's a good with way the white to say candidate. it, too. Yes. Right, right. I'm Both you. are qualified, but yeah. we're more comfortable with this guy. And they, and they never stop to think why. And over time, the examples keep piling up, and it becomes obvious what the common thread is in these situations. Mike Tomlin, the Steelers coach who hired Brian Flores to be an assistant coach on the defensive side of the ball, I think inside linebackers and special assistant defense. It's, it's, it's not head coach, obviously, but he's on the staff. Yeah. Tomlin said, I wanted to stay close to Brian when his legal issues started. I just didn't want him to feel like he was on an island. From a coaching fraternity standpoint, I owed him that. I was in a position to provide that. There's so many ways that he's going to help us and help me. His contributions are going to be significant. And look, it, it was a bold move. I mean, it had to be done. I mean, this, guy's, this guy should be a head coach. So, of course, he's qualified to be an assistant, but, but this, this really is just a little bit of breaking ranks by the Steelers here. When you consider the strong allegations being made by Flores against the Dolphins, against the Broncos, against the Giants, and the Giants and the Steelers have deep ties deep going back ties. forever. They yeah. got family members family that married. married. Right. The, the actress Rooney Mara, Mara, that first name wasn't pulled out of the air. First name's Rooney for crying out loud. Right. So that, that shows you how close the two families are. And you got one that's the target of these allegations and saying that they're false and we're not going to settle. You got the other saying to the guy who's making the allegations, come on, we got you. We know. We know it's going to be tough on you. We'll give you safe harbor here. Hey, I'm telling you, at some level, at some level, John Mary is not, he's never going to admit it publicly at some level. He's got to be wondering what's going on here. This guy's coming after me. He's making up lies about our organization and you're, and you're giving him a job. Yeah. And now again, he's, he's not going to say it, but at some level he's got to be thinking it. Yeah. I, I don't doubt that. You're right. That's it's, it's an awkward situation. It is. Mike Tomlin cares about people. He's certainly going to have sympathy about an African-American coach. He knows the struggles that go on there. I'm sure he can respect Brian Flores stance knows that's real along with it and then has the support again of the, 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 the Rooney family. Like we talked about, we know the Rooney rule hasn't been going as well as we'd all like, but it is the Rooney rule for a reason. Uh, there, there is, they, they've been leading the charge to get minority candidates to become head coaches. So good on them and the Pittsburgh organization 
to help Brian Flores out, give Mike Tomlin the confidence to make the move. He's a very well-qualified coach like you talked about. It's not like they're getting some guy to you know hold the, the pom-poms over there on the sidelines. This guy knows what he's talking about. He fits the Steelers' attitude. But, yes, I think that, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe the next Thanksgiving dinner it could be a little uncomfortable when this conversation comes up between the Mara and the Rooneys. <laughs> but the Steelers are a prime example of – walking the talk and I think it helps that's the right name comes from Dan Rooney uh, they were ready to hire Russ Grimm early 2007 I remember Pittsburgh Tribune review Russ Grimm's an ex-coach of the Steelers something happened on the way to that contract being finalized that pivoted the Steelers toward Mike Tomlin to give credence and breathe life into this rule that carries Dan Rooney's name and look I don't know how Russ Grimm would have done as a Steelers head coach but I think they got it right I got a feeling they got it right with Mike Tomlin, who's still there 15 years later and going strong. All right, the owners' meeting's going strong now. Plenty of news coming out of the gathering in Florida. We'll go over some of the biggest items when PFT Live continues right after this. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Plenty of things being said at the AFC coaches breakfast, although it's kind of morphing into a press conference now and there's podiums and it's a big mess. You got podiums, you got eggs, you got bacon, you got reporters, you got chaos. Apparently the videos coming out of the room are not ideal. So we'll just share some tweets with you. Why don't they Here's just have a real fans. press conference? Like, they're trying to look, this has always been a very casual thing. And and it's morphing into yeah, something other than casual. If you saw if you saw the image of the commissioner addressing the room last night with seven hundred people and all these lights, it was like a rock concert. I thought Gene Simmons was gonna come out and breathe fire. So <laughs> this is now a big deal. All right, Stefanski said of Baker Mayfield, if you were watching the screen, you saw the tweet. We hope there's closure at some point. Yes, they definitely hope there's closure, and they hope they get something in return for his contract. We've already discussed that they won't. Also, Stefanski said he expects Deshaun Watson to participate in the offseason program beginning April 19th. Be careful, Kevin. It's voluntary. He doesn't have to be there. Although for $230 million fully guaranteed over five years, I would volunteer to be at anything you want me to be at. So <laughs> yes. I think he'll be He'll there. be there. That's right. He, he, he's got to get there. You know, if there's anybody in the NFL where, like, urgency to get into a facility, work out, get back in the NFL mode. Got to learn a new offense, like you talked about. The contract, the pressure of the contract, trying to live up to those expectations. You know, trying to soothe over the Cleveland fan base, the part that's disappointed. 
you know, the, the, that's why you show up April 19th and put in your work and get after it so you can get to playing good like you've talked about so much and erase the memories of, of, of the bad things of past and, and you can move on to the, the future. So I, I expect uh, participation to be all out for Deshaun Watson. Here's the question I have, and this is a point Miles Simmons made on Friday when we spent the full show breaking down the Deshaun Watson press conference. Yeah. Paid leave is on the table, and I've been told by people who are in a position to know which way the wind is blowing that the league isn't going to be comfortable letting a guy with 22 open civil lawsuits alleging sexual misconduct during massage sessions to just go out and play right. if these aren't resolved. Right. So in my mind, okay, the NFL waits until it absolutely has to to make a decision. Fine. Start of the regular season, start of the preseason, Deshaun Watson, Browns helmet out on the field, Browns games, people having to talk about it. NFL doesn't like that. It's not good for the Shield. Are they going to let him show up for the offseason program? That's the point Miles made. I just assume they are. But maybe they maybe they move. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I think they're more likely to. I think so, you know, too. It's a different vibe because the offseason program isn't televised. Right. The offseason program isn't the focal point. They're, they're worried about, you know, Chris, every year when we get ready to start the season of games on NBC, we're reminded, and it's a good reminder, you got people tuning in that don't pay any attention to the NFL from the time the Super Bowl ends until the time week one rolls around. There are plenty of people who fall in that category. So when we have the opening weekend, that's when Deshaun Watson is on the field, and that's when all of a sudden people are like, well, what's going on here? Tell me more about this. I don't know what's going on. So that's where the NFL would definitely not want him on the field if these cases are unresolved, potentially. I'm not saying they definitely – I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen, but it's, but it's more in play than I think Watson realizes. But for the offseason – only the degenerates like us are yes, paying attention. Right. And we already know. So it, it's not the same PR hit if he's on the field for the offseason program because the people who are paying attention already know. They're worried about the people who are going to tune in to football for the first time right after Labor Day weekend right. who don't really understand and haven't been paying attention. And so that's why I think it's more likely it happens then, if that makes any sense. I, I think it makes total sense, Mike. I, I, I'm with you there. I, I can't imagine the NFL being cool with like, hey, here's the – I mean, again, the optics of this are weird. Uh, they are. And no matter what you want to say, whatever side you're on here, a guy that's got you know a checkered history just got the greatest contract in the history of football. That doesn't look great. That doesn't look great. For Cleveland, the NFL, anybody. And I'm not trying to sit here and accuse Deshaun Watson or say guilty or not guilty. I'm not. I'm just saying the optics of that look weird with that. Hey, hey, you haven't played football and you've been in trouble and you got a lot of things pending. Here's the best contract in the history of football. Uh, good job. Uh, so that's where I look at it in the NFL going, yeah, they have a major PR disaster going on if we, i mean you said labor day i think even when we start getting into the preseason games you know hey helmet highlights all of that that's going to be a bad look for the nfl i'm with you mike i think they got to go here through otas mini camps all that go out there you're right there's not a lot of press hey you were on the local news for a few seconds hey look the browns got otas today blah 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 uh, but but it's not going to be a national thing but when it starts to become a national thing Hey, we're blah, 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 checking in a Cleveland camp here, and we're doing a national breakdown of this team and all of that. And here's Deshaun Watson being interviewed by, you know, the major channels, NBC and Fox and CBS and ESPN. 
then the NFL's got issues. And I, I, I got to think, like you said, they're going to nudge to get these things figured out or you're not playing Watson camp. You got to figure that out before the season starts. And there was enough that came out of the press conferences on Friday to make me think that they do understand it. Deshaun Watson was asked, are you going to settle the cases? He said, that's not my intent. Pete Carroll, no intent to trade Russell Wilson. <laughs> not my intent. Not his intent. Not my but... intent is to clear my name, right. right? And Jimmy Haslam was asked about it. Separate press conference. A lot of criticism for that. Why not be there shoulder to shoulder with Deshaun Watson during the difficult press conference? But Haslam said, I trusted his people to do the right thing. I think at the end of the day, he's just going to – He's just see, you can't seem too anxious or you're going to end up paying way too much to resolve these cases. So there's a – there's a, a subtlety to it that I think they're trying to identify, but it's in everyone's interest for these to get resolved before the start of the season. And I'm hopeful that Watson will eventually realize it's in his best interest. It's in the Browns' best interest. It's in the NFL's best interest. Yeah, it it's is. in the alleged victim's best interest. And for the average Browns fan, they're saying, what did we do to have this cloud migrate from Houston to Cleveland? Why do we have to deal with this? Why do we have to defend Deshaun Watson to our family members and friends that are, you know, I mean, the, I'm thinking about the, the ardent team can do no wrong. Browns fan is in a tough spot for as long as these cases are pending. And if you care about the fans of the team, you don't want them to carry that, that weight around. You want it to be gone. You want it to be over. You don't want it to become part of your narrative as a Browns fan. And as somebody who follows and supports the team. A hundred percent. Start the healing, the healing process, right? That's what we're talking about. Start the healing process. If this is still going on and, you know, then you're going to have little details of each little case come out and it's going to always be a firestorm and a publicity fight. And, you know, like you talking about talk radio in Cleveland, the fans talking about it and all that. I don't see any positives that come out of it right now, you know, other than, Deshaun Watson wanting to prove that he is innocent, like you talked about. But, I mean, again, to what length do you go to, to to figure that out? And can you ever really prove that anyways? So at some point, you kind of got to just do what's best for yourself. And like you said, everybody else, Cleveland, the city, the fans, the league, all of it, hopefully it gets done. Mike McDaniel, coach of the Dolphins, spoke today as well. He talked about the Teddy Bridgewater to a Tonga Vailoa situation. We spent a lot of time last week talking about Teddy Bridgewater's curious <laughs> answer to the question of whether he's been told what his role will be. Well, I'll keep those conversations private. Created the impression the door's open. Mike McDaniel did his best to close the door. Yes, he did. Teddy will support Tua as the backup quarterback. It's been explicitly explained to the players. Okay, fine. Then why didn't Teddy say that last week? Why didn't he say that if that's the case? That's that's what I'm going to have a hard time accepting. Why didn't he come out and say that? Why do you say, well, I'll keep that between me and the coaches? Well, are you here to be a backup? Are you here to compete to your starter? Well, that's not something I want to talk about. Come on. I mean, what, you know, un unless he's trying to speak it into existence, Chris, why not just admit that this is what it is? Unless it isn't. No, I, I know. I mean, I think Mike McDaniel is trying to, you know, like you said, put the toothpaste back in the bottle there. A little bit be like what you know and and i don't know but the way that language is right there explicitly that tells me that they they led teddy bridgewater to believe he was the backup they taught me told him to be ready and he's got some injury history and all that and maybe that's where teddy just didn't want to back down and say i am a backup he doesn't maybe he doesn't want that word associated with his name i don't know either way that was an egotistical wrong thing to say 
And it's not the image, again, that we know that the Dolphins have been trying to portray here ever since they got rid of Flores. That's why we were all like, what? That, that makes no sense there. They, the, all accounts are trying to go all in on Tua. A hundred percent. They're trying to justify the pick at number five. They're going to build the team and a system around him. And I don't know what Teddy, Teddy did there. I don't. But I, I have a hard time believing that they told him he was going to compete. Maybe they said, hey, we want you to compete. We want you to push Tua. But I, I have a hard time thinking they said, well, we're going to battle it out in camp and you might be able to be the starter week one. There's a totally different that's two different sides of the spectrum there. There's one thing, compete and push the guy. One thing, hey, we're going to give you a chance to compete to start. I have a hard time thinking that was said to Teddy Bridgewater, and that's where I think he was completely wrong and, yeah, not cool for him to say that last week. Here's the key word for me. It's the word explicitly. Right, because right. That's in a, that yeah. word, in that word, there's implicit frustration. Yes. Because – you don't say it's been explicitly explained unless somebody to whom it was explained came out and said something they shouldn't have said. I'm with you. That's what he I creates jumped the out impression, to me. Right. Yeah. He creates the impression that he's got a chance to No, he's been explicitly told right. what the deal is. Right. So so look, either either the Dolphins are trying to conceal the plan, yep. which is possible. Yep. Or Teddy decided to freelance so he wouldn't have to say yeah, I'm the backup. Yeah, right. I know I was a starter in Denver last year, but I'm the backup to the guy that throws three-yard passes. That's me. <laughs> I, I feel like that's what kind of happened. I do. And again, I, I don't know, but I just I would have a hard time thinking that it was the other way around. Uh, I, I would. Not with a new head coach who's, like we talked about last week, calling Tua on the private plane the first thing he does. Uh, the, everything we've heard from that organization, I, I, I just, yes, it seems like Bridgewater didn't want to just say it flat out that way. He's keeping hope alive, maybe, but that's not the best thing to do for the Dolphins or Mike McDaniel or that organization right now. Well, you don't put a $3.5 million incentive package in Teddy Bridgewater's one-year contract if you're not at least acknowledging the possibility sure, the guy's going to sure. play. But, I mean, two could get hurt. This yes, isn't about Tua. Exactly. See, I think they – they just they want a backup that they can turn to in the event that Tua either gets injured or it's a disaster. Agreed. And then you get, but but that doesn't mean he's competing. Yes. Hey Teddy, we got you here. Like we we were trying to find the sweet spot, the right guy, and you're the right guy because you're not going to threaten Tua. You're going to be able to support him, but if something happens, then we know we can count on you. Yeah. So that's why we're doing this. Right. And and. And so maybe he, you know, maybe yeah. that's where he kind of thought that they Seems were saying like a little it. bit more than they were really saying. Yeah. But the bottom line is he is the backup. Will there be an opportunity? Chances are yes. In a 17-game season, two is going to get injured at some point because of the way he plays and the hits he's taken. We've seen it. He's not, he's not that, doesn't have that thickness to him. Although at times I think maybe he does. But for the most part, he doesn't have that NFL quarterback body. And he's going to get banged up and Teddy's going to get a chance. And and maybe Teddy allowed that to become something more in his mind than it right, really is. Maybe right. that's the explanation. Mike McDaniel also addressed what happened, I think it was Thursday or Friday. Somebody from WEEI was claiming that that even now the possibility lingered for Tom Brady to go to Miami. And, and there's no way in hell it's happening now. Yeah, he's no. already convinced like 25 guys to sign with the Buccaneers. The last thing he's going to do is bail on the Buccaneers. Once he said he's coming back 15 days ago, and yes, it was only 15 days, 
He's in. That's it. Agreed. Any chance of going to the Dolphins was before that. So McDaniel says it's fake news. Recently, yes. But it sure as hell isn't fake news that the Dolphins were thinking about Sean Payton and Tom Brady. But that was weeks ago. Yes. Not recently. Recently, there's no way Brady's leaving the Buccaneers for the Dolphins. Even if you look at the Dolphins with Tyree Kill and say, Man. Yeah, no, I know. He's going to look at it and go, yeah, that team is <laughs> right, no doubt about it. But he's still got a team up there in, in, in you know, North Florida and Tampa there that's, you know, can make you mumble some of those things too and go, damn, they're good. Oh, that defense, everything they got there. So he's in a good spot. And you're right. They've laid down the, the, the tracks there, and he has to already say, I'm here. And players are coming there, and Bruce Arians made the comment this weekend about guys want to come here because they know they get a shot to to win a ring with Brady. So that's all set up. It's all been done. You're right, but but we know, we know, you and I both know that that was a thing. That was a thing. Brady to Miami was a thing early in the off season with Sean Payton. It's not now. No way that's happening. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Uh, when we return, some more from the owners' meetings, including John Harbaugh talking about the franchise quarterback who won't engage the franchise in talks on a long-term contract. More PFT Live right after this. John Harbaugh, Ravens coach, speaking at the league meeting, says he doesn't have any updates on Lamar Jackson's contract, but I'd love for something to get done. I'm confident it's going to happen. I know he's going to be our quarterback. In a nutshell, what's going on here is Lamar Jackson, who's been eligible for a new contract for 15 months now, just won't engage the Ravens. The Ravens are apoplectic over it. They wish he had an agent. It would be easier. Get someone on the phone. Talk this out. Figure out what's going on. And some people think that Lamar Jackson is just kind of trying to passive-aggressively get through his five-year rookie contract, two years of the franchise tag, and become a free agent somewhere else. I mean, his quarterback style doesn't exactly guarantee he's going to be healthy and effective after seven years in the NFL because he's taken a lot of hits. But, you know, Chris, they need to work this out. And if they don't get it done, if he refuses to engage them this year, and they are in a position where they tag him next year, and given the current F them picks mindset by some teams out there. And you look around at some of the teams like at the dog, if it doesn't work for Tua in Miami. Yeah, right. I mean, what's to stop one of these other teams from coming to the Ravens and saying, we'll give you two first round picks for Lamar Jackson. The Ravens may be thrilled to take it. Fine. You take him. You take the guy that won't talk to us about a contract. Maybe he'll talk to you or maybe he won't. Maybe you'll just be getting him for two years of the franchise tag if he's not going to negotiate with you because he, he sure isn't going to negotiate with us. But at some point, the Ravens have to throw their hands in the air. And I think after this season, they will if they don't get a contract done before then. I, I think that that's the, the, you know, the golden key there, whatever you want to say. It, it's after this year. Yeah, you, you get after this year, it's, it's you know – it's getting dicey about the future of Lamar Jackson. And then how much power are you going to have in the situation? Like we've talked about with a number of trades here this offseason. I, I, would, I would hope Lamar Jackson's not you know, making some play to be franchised you know, twice and then go be a free agent you know, in year you know, eight of his career. Uh, that, that to me, like you just talked about, is incredibly risky. Uh, as a guy that sits here, and I think you're the same way, we root for Lamar Jackson. You want to see him compensated. I want to see him secure financially with the style of play like you talked about. 
Things are, you know, he's getting better in the pocket every year. He can dice you up that way. But, yes, the running and all that, that's only going to be special for so long. He's not going to be able to go around the corner and run for 80-yard touchdowns for too much longer here. Uh, I mean, it's just a fact of nature. You're not going to be that guy. So uh, I, I would hope that he engages at some point during this year. I don't get it. I really don't. I don't know what's going on and why he's risking it with this behavior or not going to the negotiation table. Yeah, I mean, either it's deliberate or it's incredibly misguided. And I've said before, he should just set up meetings with five of the top quarterback agents and, and pick their brains. You know, And maybe you'll decide to hire one of them, but along the way you get some input, you get some feedback on what they think about what you're doing and why you're doing it. It's, it's very confusing, and I, I want what's best for the kid. Yeah. And at this point, he's, he's putting his generational payday at risk every time he sets foot on a football field. Um, and uh, and it's, he's uh, screwing the Ravens over too, to a degree, like we've yeah. talked about. It goes back to like – you know, our Nick Casario conversation at the Combine or whatever, it's, just, it's hard for them to figure out their future when they know they have this huge block of money that has to go or should go to this guy at some point. You know, you, you, you can't determine how aggressive you can be with other moves or how much money you can throw at a guy you might want to give a new contract to or a free agent. You know, so that's where it, it, it's a pain in the butt, I'm sure, for the, the Baltimore Ravens just to get you know, their books in order that way. If you're the Ravens, would you give Lamar Jackson right now the Deshaun Watson contract? Ooh, five years, 230 guaranteed. Probably not. I probably would not. Mm, I don't know. It's, that, mm, it's, it's close. That would, be, that would be a question. The guaranteed part, I guess, is the part I question. The, the actual number per year, I can get my head around that. But like we just discussed here, we're talking about Lamar Jackson, who plays a different style of football than Deshaun Watson. And it is a little bit more of like hairs on fire. I'm going to run through the middle of the field a whole bunch of times during the game. That's, I guess, the part I would be a little worried about. I remember last year coming to the conclusion after seeing the details of the Josh Allen contract in Buffalo that yeah. Lamar Jackson should want that same contract. That if you really want to get it started, just go to the Ravens and say, hey, I was an MVP. He wasn't. We're drafted the same year. Just give me his contract. And and he didn't. As far as we know, he and didn't. And that was what, what is Josh's? Him. Five years, 240? What was it like? It's like, yeah, but it's like he's getting like $43 million a year. Right. It's not fully guaranteed. Right. It's, 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 I think Dak Prescott's deal is the best because yes. it's four years, 160, and it puts the Cowboys in a bind where after three years they have to resign i mean prescott's deal is the best because he gets back to the trough even sooner he gets 40 million a year it's a real contract he really played it well allen falls between prescott is i think the best and and patrick mahomes which is ultra long term that is going to have to be fixed at some point especially where the market's going now but fast forward today lamar jackson could at least get the process going by saying to the ravens Give me the Deshaun Watson contract. If you're not willing to do it, tell me why. At least you could start. I mean, you have data points. That's that's, that's what I'm right. saying. That's right. You, you can at least begin an intelligent conversation as to what Lamar Jackson thinks he wants. We know what Josh Allen got. We know what Deshaun Watson got. We know what Dak Prescott got. We know what Patrick Mahomes got. There's got to be a way to find the right place to put Lamar Jackson, unless he really is deliberately doing this to force his way out of Baltimore either after seven years 
or to set the stra- uh, stage for someone to say F them picks and come in and try to trade for him. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Uh, I'm, I, just, I, I would have a hard time believing that he's trying to force his way out of there, has some master plan. I mean, man, the Ravens are the team that gave him the shot. Their team is built for him to succeed. You know, again, there's not a lot of offenses out there in football that are that are built that way necessarily to just you know play that style of football the Ravens want to play with Lamar Jackson. So that's where it's limited options too. And gosh, he's he's already you know one of the best players in franchise history and a special football player. Why would you want to start over new somewhere else? I don't know. I'm just tossing these things around. But uh, man. Please, please, Lamar, go get get to the table here and, and negotiate a contract and protect your protect your interests. That's what we want more than anything. Let's take a quick break. When we return, will the NFL finally fix the overtime rule? They started the process 12 years ago. Will they get there the rest of the way this week? We'll discuss that next on PFT. Mike Tomlin, Steelers coach, member of the competition committee on the overtime debate. I am one of the few sudden death advocates, I would imagine. He says he thinks 60 minutes provides enough opportunity for both teams to do enough to win. I don't fear sudden death. I don't. I understand the context, but it just sounds weird. Okay, so look, and and there's there's a truth in what Mike Tomlin says. Let me try to explain this as succinctly as I can. I think one of the biggest impediments to fixing the overtime rule to make it more fair is that teams will acknowledge that an unfair rule, when it actually plays out, it screws one team, it helps another team. And that mindset comes up so often with these bad rules. Hey, well, it's bad for one team, it's good for the other. Well, If you're the Packers and you've been burned by it twice, In back-to-back years, the 2014 NFC Championship, the 2015 Divisional Round. Loss at Seattle, loss at Arizona. First drive of overtime, lose the coin toss, and it's a walk-off. you got to be thinking, we're due now. They they think this way. There's a bad rule. It creates an unfair outcome, but it really helps one of the teams. So we're kind of fine with it. That, to me, Chris, is going to be the biggest obstacle to get 24 teams to do the right thing and create a more fair overtime process. Uh, I mean, I, I don't doubt that. I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't know about all that. I mean, I understand what you're saying. There definitely is the law of averages where I think, yes, a lot of these, to your point, a lot of these coaches don't fret and worry about some of these things as much as maybe we do as talking heads or football fans because they just go, hey, bounce of the ball, football guys. It'll come our way at some point. Uh, I, I, you know, for years was a fan of, like, the sudden death thing. All for it. Let's do it. I mean, gosh, they got defense got million-dollar players too. They're, they're allowed to stop the offense and do something. But I've been swayed the last few years. And, again, you know, sudden death and, and all that, that was cool, you know, back in the, the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. That was before referees throw a flag for everything in the world. I'm sorry. That's where it's changed. That's Oh, 70-yard bomb, the guy's pinky nail touched the receiver, and now he's at the four-yard line ready to score a touchdown. And the guy didn't get touched, but it was just a bad call. Or the roughing the passer, oh, my gosh. Or, you know, I, or I don't know, my defender got a sack and he – did a karate kick and looked at the seventh row the wrong way, and we gave him 15 yards. That's to me where I go, you got to be careful about sudden death. The rules, the way they're swayed to the offensive side of the ball right now, to me, it's not a real sudden death anymore. 
You're right. And on top of it, when we get to the playoffs, yes. we've got the better offenses. Exactly. We've got the better quarterbacks. None of these games are 6-6 six to six going into overtime. They're 36-all, 31-all, 34-all. They're exciting games that shouldn't be short-circuited because somebody wins the coin toss and scores an opening drive touchdown. There should be a chance to match it and then sudden death thereafter. It's an easy fix. Let's see if they do the smart and fair and right thing for the game, not for the individual teams potentially, but for the game itself. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Monday edition of PFT Live right after this. There it is. Mission accomplished. Best smacker. Look, everybody's talking about it, Chris. And during the show, during the breaks, I've managed to detect that there is a belief out there that this was staged. There are some people that are on Team Florio. I get it. I get it. I get it. Well, no, not on Twitter. You mean they're on Twitter? They're they're thinking that there might be a conspiracy. Is it QAnon or QAnon or Tuanon or I don't know? Believe the Russians? What is the Twitter response today? I don't know. Who knows? I mean, geez, but I do. I want you to watch it, though. Seriously, watch it for real and just see what your sense is there. I think it'll change you a little bit because it was so good actor. He's best actor. I know. But Chris Rock ain't Chris Rock ain't. I know that. (laughs) And some of the people that came after him, I know they ain't that great at acting either. And they were like, whoa, it was I, I, I would have. I would have a hard time thinking it's not real. I want I, you to watch it, I though, wonder, just to get a feel. Okay, if it wasn't staged, yeah. what is Chris Rock thinking? As I guess he's Will thinking, Smith like, he's not going to really hit me. In on him. Like, what are you doing, <laughs> man? Like, what? you know, he just stands and waits for it. Stands and, and waits for it. it. Takes the verbal him, abuse he, he, and says it was like a freaking Hill. G.I. Jane joke. He took his joke. like a man. He took it. <laughs> See you tomorrow. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.